Well, we all understand disappointment, don't we? And it happens in life. And welcome to uh, this new series we're entitled Life in 3D. We're trying to provide some perspective on some important life issues that we all have in common. And I hope today's uh, message on disappointment will be meaningful to you. We're going to look at a very special story today from the book of Ruth. It uh, pertains to these two women, Naomi and Ruth. Naomi was the mother-in-law and Ruth the daughter-in-law. And we can see through their disappointment things that we can learn about our own disappointment and God's greater plan in the midst of that disappointment. So I, I uh, trust that uh, you'll be blessed by it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 19 to 22. If you don't have uh, your Bibles, we'll project those words on the screen for you. Let me just give you a little context. Naomi and her husband and two sons had left Israel, the region of Bethlehem, and they traveled to Moab. And the reason they did that is because of famine that had, uh, had driven them out of the land. And after several years had passed, the two sons married Moabite women. And so they were living in the land of Moab and another famine hit. Now Naomi's husband dies. And then a few years after that, both of her sons die. It's very sad. And Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, who are Moabites, please return to your own families where you'll be cared for. You're still young. You can marry again, and life will go on for you. I'll return to Israel, to the region of Bethlehem. And one of the daughters-in-law departs and goes back home. But Ruth, the second daughter-in-law, refuses to leave Naomi, and she travels back to Israel, to the region of Bethlehem, with her mother-in-law. And we pick up the story from there. Our custom at Union Chapel is to stand as we hear God's word. So as you're able, would you please stand? Verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Note the last phrase. As the barley harvest was beginning. Everybody say the word beginning. Beginning. All right. You may be seated. Thank you so much. I've told this uh, introductory story now in three services this weekend and have not gotten the response that I was hoping for. I don't know what's wrong with me, and so I have to, I have to coach you. This story, while sounding apparently quite serious, actually ends with a humorous punchline at the end. It's sad when a public speaker has to do this, but... At the end of the story, you have permission to laugh, okay? You may not want to, you may not get it, but if you do, you have my permission to go ahead and chuckle out loud, okay? There it is. A businessman's wife became depressed. This kind of starts out sad. Each week she got more and more sad. The light had gone out of her life, her countenance had dimmed, no sparkle left in her eyes, 
and the businessman being a modern man of the world scheduled an appointment with a therapist and he took his wife to the therapist and they sat down and after a few minutes of conversation the counselor got up and walked over to the man's wife took her by the hand stood her up holding her hands looking her in the eyes for a, what seemed to be a long long time and then he pulled her close and wrapped his arms around her and gave her a long and warm embrace and after several seconds he let her go and step back and you could see the effect it had, had on her face. She, she had completely transformed. Her countenance was now warm. The sparkle was back in her eye. Joy seemed to re be returning to her heart. And so the therapist turned to the husband and said, See, that's all she needs. To which the husband said, Perfect. I can bring her back on Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> It's actually a pretty good story, don't you think? I mean, that's, I mean it's, it's got some punch to it. Anyway, obviously the husband missed the point. Let me, uh, let me talk to you about disappointment for just a moment. Edith Schaefer is one of the great uh, saints of God in the last uh, 50 years or so in this country. And she gave us a pretty good definition of affliction. You know, Naomi said, I am afflicted by God. And here's a definition. I want to put it on the screen so you might appreciate it more. She said, every affliction can be categorized under one of two categories, either too much of something or too little of something. Now, let's illustrate that. For example, a woman who wants to have children, but she finds herself barren, is afflicted. She has too little. Or the woman who is a single mom with seven children, she also is afflicted because she has too much. So affliction can be defined as either too much of something or too little of something. You remember the Israelites, as they came out of Egyptian bondage under the leadership of Moses, they got right up to the Red Sea with the Egyptian army hot on their heels, and now they are afflicted. And the reason they're afflicted is because there's too much water. Now we know the story, God parted the Red Sea and the Israelites went across on dry ground, but now... They step across on the other side, and they're in the desert of Sinai. And three days later, they're really thirsty. And so they come to this pond of water, and they're, they're hopeful that this will be their salvation. And they, they find that this pool in the, in the desert, in, in the early journey of the Sinai, that's three days in, is a place where the water is bitter, called Mara, bitter. Now they are afflicted because... Too little water. Too much water, there's affliction. Too little water, there's affliction. There's an interesting anecdote to this, to this story of the bitter water because Moses cries out to God, and we find this story in Exodus 15, and God says to Moses, you see that piece of wood over there on the ground? He said, pick up that piece of wood and throw it into the water. And as he throws that wood into this water, this bitter water, the bitter waters become sweet. Isn't that great? Supernaturally, God changes the bitter water to sweet. Now, I want you to just leave that in your mind. Leave that little story in your mind. I want to reference it at the very end this morning. What we learn, though, in these stories and other stories in the Scripture is that God is a faithful God no matter if you have a lot or you have too little. That God is a delivering God. He's a conquering God. And sometimes He parts the Red Sea and the enemies are defeated behind you. And life is good because He has extricated you from a disappointing time or a difficult season. 
At other times, we find that God is a sustaining God and that he actually provides the grace you need to make it through a certain situation, that you find strength in the circumstances. So either way, whether there's too much or too little, we discover that God is a faithful God and he will meet us at the point of our need. Now we pick up the story today with, with Ruth and this mother-in-law of hers named Naomi, and they've been through some stuff, right? They've had hardship. They've had disappointment. Their husbands are dead. They are all alone. They have no prospects. Their future is completely uncertain. And Ruth stays with Naomi in spite of Naomi's urging her to leave and go home. This is the context where we find in the first chapter of the book of Ruth this beautiful speech that Ruth makes to Naomi when Naomi's trying to get her to leave and go back home. And Ruth says, and we hear this sometimes in wedding ceremonies, whether thou goest, I will go. Whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. You know, it's this exalted language. It's beautiful. It's a, like a soliloquy of beauty that Ruth pledges her allegiance to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And sometimes you hear that read at wedding ceremonies. Of course, the context here has nothing to do with a man and his wife. If you want to read it authentically, then read it to your mother-in-law. Or not, or don't, because, no, it wouldn't occur to me <laughs> to, to say that to my mother-in-law. <laughs> For everyone here, there are going to be times of disappointment in your life when we are disappointed with each other, when we are disappointed with ourselves, when we are disappointed with life, when we are disappointed with God. We, we find ourselves disappointed. And what I've discovered in my life is that it's very difficult to deal with all these crises unless I realize that God is still God whether there is too much or there is too little and His grace will get me through. Amen? That's, that's the only way I can make sense of it. Now, I have a few ideas, a few thoughts. It's on your outline this morning. The first one is this. Our God is real. You need the word real. Our God is real. Regardless of our circumstances, times when God led his people out of horrible afflictions, other times he sustained them in their afflictions, either way, God meets us at the point of our need. God will meet us in the seasons of our lives, and he will make a way for us by his grace in spite of the unique challenges. Naomi, with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, go back to Israel, back to the homeland, back to Bethlehem. They have no husband, no, no money, no future. Uh, this little Gentile daughter-in-law stuck to the bottom of her sandal like a piece of bubble gum. You know, you just can't shake her. Go home. I'm not leaving. Go on. No. She just is, is just stuck to her. And it's an amazing moment. They, they rush out to greet Naomi as she gets close to her hometown, Bethlehem. Can I believe my eyes? Is it you, Naomi? Is it you? Have you come home? And Naomi's response to the greeting of her old friends is, why do you call me Naomi? That's an interesting question, but if you know the meaning of the name Naomi, you'll understand. Naomi actually means full and blessed and satisfied and content. Full, blessed, satisfied, content. Why do you call me full? Why do you call me blessed? Why do you call me satisfied? 
Why do you call me content? I am anything but that. I went out full, Naomi said, but I have come back empty. Can you feel that? You feel the angst in that? The disappointment in that? Verse 21, I am bitter with God. He has afflicted me. Let me ask you a question today. Have you ever been in that place of bitterness, resentment, anger, disappointment toward God or others? Maybe you're in a place like that right now. Maybe life has handed you some stuff and it's left you sour and, and, and broken and bitter. It can happen in life, can it? It's a possibility in the world in which we live. It happens. So the preacher just said, our God is real. And you say, wait a minute, I don't even know if God exists. What do you mean he's real? And if he does exist, I'm not sure he cares about me. He notices me. He's aware of my need, my pain, my disappointment. And it's understandable that life can hand us things that leave us with that frame of mind. And if you're a person today, you've just heard the preacher say, our God is real. Embrace the fact that God is real. Maybe you're not ready to place that kind of trust and faith in God. And if you're not ready for that today, then let me just say, surround yourself with people who believe God for you. Believe God with you. Let us believe and trust God for your future, your hopeful future, even while you're struggling with the whole idea. Because our God really is real. And He's with you. And His grace is sufficient. Now here's a second thought I want to give you that may be helpful to you in your perspective. And that is, and it's on your outline, back away from your circumstances, if you can, back away for a greater perspective. You need the word greater. A greater perspective. God may be doing more in the circumstance than you can possibly imagine at the time. Now, let's just say this out loud. When you're in the middle of a confusing season of life, a disappointing, maybe even tragic time of life, it is virtually impossible to get any kind of clarity about why this is happening to me is there a bigger picture. I understand that when you're in the moment, in the season, the obfuscation, the confusion, all the dust in the air, it's very difficult to see, see anywhere. But, but it's important for us, if we can, to try to step back just a bit to try to gain a, a larger perspective. Look what's happening in this particular story. Naomi thought it was the end. The end of her life, the end of her prospects, the end of her future. But it was actually a new beginning. The last phrase of the last verse of our text is it was the beginning of the barley season. Now I want to put a statement on the screen and see if you agree with it. With God, the end of something He has ordained is always the beginning of something richer. Do you believe that? Do you agree with that? Depending on how deep into disappointment you are right now, that will either be easier or more difficult to believe. I happen to believe that's true. With God, the end of something He has ordained is always the beginning of something richer, something greater, something more important. Give me an illustration of that. I'll give you the perfect illustration. In the life of a believer, death is the perfect example of that. Death is the end of one state of existence, one form of life, and it issues forth, it's a transition point into a different kind of life, a better kind of life. And death for the believer then is good, it's profit, it's gain. The apostle said, 
To die is gain. To die is better for the believer. To die is good. It's all good. And so we embrace that truth, that it's the entry point into something greater and better. Someone said it this way, if you see the word disappointment, disappointment, if you change the D in disappointment to an H, what does it become? becomes his appointment. His appointment. Is it possible that God is actually doing something in your life, working the circumstances, however negative, however difficult, however bad those circumstances may be? Is it possible that God is actually working those circumstances in such a way that it will issue forth in good coming to your life? And the answer to the question is, that's the promise. That's the promise he's made. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. That's the promise, that he's working everything that happens to us, even the bad stuff that happens, for our benefit and for the strength of our lives. There's a little guy in church who's sitting next to his mother. He's impatient, you know, fidgety like little guys tend to be. And he's just like this. He had one eye closed and he had his thumb up in there. It kept going like this, moving his hand back and forth like that. Finally, the mother got tired of it, reached over, put his hand down, said, what are you doing? He, he put his thumb up again. He said, my thumb is bigger than the preacher. Just like that. <laughs> Everybody do that. Close one eye, put your thumb up. Thumb is bigger than the preacher. <laughs> Shazam! <laughs> Isn't that what the devil does, though? Isn't that what the devil does to our lives? Something happens to us. We face into some kind of issue or challenge or season that leaves us confused and even bitter. And the devil comes into our lives and says, there, now, that's the end of it. Because that situation, that problem, that challenge, that's bigger than you. That's bigger than life. That's bigger than eternity. Heck, your problems are bigger than God. Not even God can get you out of that. And we find ourselves in moments like this. And we, we feel the weight of it, the burden of it, and the hopelessness of it. But God promises that he's going to be with us. And that it isn't the end, it can become a beginning. God was about to do something in Naomi's life and Ruth's life that they would have never dreamed of, never expected. God was about to further the line, the genealogical line, from Abraham all the way to Jesus. Messiah Emmanuel. Watch what happened. Naomi returns with Ruth to Bethlehem. The next day, because they have no prospects, no support, she says to Ruth, now I want you to go out into the barley field where they're harvesting the field and find one of the barley fields where the owner of the field doesn't mind you come along behind the harvesters and just, just scrape up the scraps from the field so that we can stay alive. And if, if they don't welcome you and don't give you favor, then go to a different field because they, someone might hurt you. So Ruth goes out the next morning and she finds herself in a field and she's following along. And the owner of that field shows up about noon, says, who's that, who's that girl out there? And they say, she's, she's, she's Ruth, the Moabitess, who has returned to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And the name of that man who owned the field, his name was Boaz. And Boaz remembers Naomi. In fact, with village scuttlebutt, you know, just the, just the conversation in the village, he had heard already that day 
about this faithful little Moabite Gentile woman named Ruth who stuck to her Jewish mother-in-law no matter what, and he was impressed with her. And so he said, make sure that she gets all she needs and make sure she has some extra to take home with her so Naomi can be fed too. And suddenly now you begin to see the favor of God and the provision of God as the story unfolds. Watch this now. Watch it. Boaz asked the question, isn't Naomi's husband, late husband, someone in my family? And Boaz remembers and discovers that Naomi's former husband, dead husband, is indeed part of his family. And so he goes to the village elders and says, how about I buy the field that once belonged to Naomi's husband and I will redeem Naomi and her life by buying the field. And when the elders agree, Boaz buys the field and becomes, watch this phrase now, he becomes their kinsman redeemer because he's part of the family. He's, re he's redeemed the field once owned by his, by his family member and the women come with the field. And the reason the women came with the property is so that the family line, so that, so that Naomi's husband's name can, can continue. And so it was, it was part of the, of the rich tradition of the Jewish community. And so Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer of this property, and there, therefore Naomi and Ruth. Well, one thing leads to another, and the next thing you know, Boaz and Ruth are married. And about a year after that, Ruth gives birth to a son, and his name was Obed. And Obed grew up, and he had a son, and his name was Jesse. Now that name may ring a bell, because Jesse became the father of the greatest king in Israel's history, King David, a king who was also born in Bethlehem. And so here's what, here's what God was up to. Naomi and Ruth made it back to Bethlehem just in time to, to, to meet Boaz, so that Ruth then becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David, who is in the direct lineage of Jesus, Messiah, Emmanuel. So from Abraham all the way to Jesus, we find this unbroken line, this genealogical line, and right in the middle of it is Ruth the Moabitess. And, and because of Naomi's faithfulness and because of Ruth's persistence and, and faithfulness, we see the work of God, this greater work of God. If someone had said to Naomi and Ruth, you know, you're going to be an important link in the chain all the way from Abraham to the Savior of the world whose eternal destinies would, would, would affect millions and millions of people in history, and you're an important link in the chain, they'd have said, are you crazy? There's nothing like that going to happen to me. I'm done. I'm finished. There's no hope for me. There's no purpose for my life. But God had a bigger plan, and that's so important to remember. Now, now watch this. If, you, if you're a person today and you've been through some stuff, maybe you faced a life-threatening illness, maybe you're facing one right now. The doctor said you have this much time to live. Maybe you've had tragic loss in your life. Maybe you've lost a, a spouse or even a child or a grandchild and it was tragic and it was horrible. It was devastating. You've been through some hard times in your life and difficult times and you understand affliction you understand too much you understand too little you get it let me tell you what else you get if you've been through this kind of life experience you also have perspective on what life really means you're not confused about that anymore you know that every day of life is a precious thing precious 
and should be lived to the fullest. You know that life really isn't about the years you live, the longevity of your life. It's not about living long. It's about living well. And you have realized that life is not about money and it's not about material possessions. You know that life is much bigger than that, much more important than that. And you know that life isn't about some kind of popularity or notoriety or celebrity or fame. It's not about that at all. What you've learned is that life is actually about authentic relationships. It's about love. It's about loving God and loving people. You've discovered that life is about making meaningful contributions in the lives of those around you. You know that life really matters and takes on meaning and significance and fullness and contentment when you actually are giving your life away for the benefit of others, when you open your heart and open your hands and you express in meaningful ways the love of God to others. You've discovered that life really means living by grace, receiving the wonderful grace of God that He has offered to us as a gift through His Son, Jesus Christ. This grace of unmerited favor, of undeserved favor, blessing and benefit as a, as a wonderful gift. You've learned that God has gifted you by His grace with the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that that grace can be conferred and transferred to other people. This hope, this message, this glorious good news of the message of Jesus can actually be communicated through your life. That's what life's about. That's the purpose of life. It's about love and it's about meaningful contribution and it's about grace. And you've learned that. And it's an important lesson. And so you live your life in a way that is meaningful and honorable. Could I just remind you also that anybody who has been greatly used of God, who's been a great influence in, in the world, listen to me carefully, friends. You, you may think you're the only one. You think you're the only one. You're, the, you're in isolation when it comes to this kind of pain and affliction and disappointment. But listen to me. Everyone, everyone, every single person who's ever lived and has been a significant influence for the sake of God's kingdom are people who have suffered, people who have experienced pain, personal loss, tragedy, come under huge pressure. But they pop through the other side because they placed their trust in God and he saw them through. Step back if you can, take a greater perspective on what's happening to you and you may see this isn't the end of anything, but it may be a brand new beginning. Here's the last thought. and It's simply this. It's important then to make a distinction between the events of life and the person of God. A distinction between the events of life and the person of God. Let me just, let me just make a statement. See, see how, how it sits with you. Life is not fair, but God is good. How's that sit with you? Life is not fair. You okay with that? But God is good. You all right with that? Do, do those two statements hang okay together for you in your worldview? Life is not fair, but God is good. See, here's what I believe. I, don't, I believe that that most of the things that happen in the world aren't the will of God at all. And so we have unfairness all around. We have injustice all around. We have all kinds of nonsense and, and brokenness and evil loose in the world. And we wonder why this happens. It, it happens because 
Our greatest blessing in life and our worst curse are the same thing. Our greatest blessing and our worst curse in the human condition is exactly the same thing, and it's actually described as free will. We are free moral agents. We've been made in the image and likeness of God, and God has given us freedom of choice. We can choose to do what's right, or we can choose to do what's wrong. We can choose to live honorably, or we can choose to live in a despicable way. We can choose to embrace God's best plan for our lives, or we can choose to be selfish and sinful and pleasure-seeking and do whatever we want. We're free to choose. We're not puppets on a string. We're not, we're not these little marionette puppets, you know, that, that God forces to obey and love. God wants obedience that comes from our heart. We, he wants us to choose to love Him. And this great freedom of choice has left the human condition in a very awkward place. John 3.16, all of us can quote, perhaps, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know verse 17? That's John 3.16. Here's 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's good news, isn't it? Not about condemnation, but salvation. How about verse 18? Verse 18 of John chapter 3 says, and this is the verdict. In other words, here's a summary then. You know that God has promised eternal life if you trust in Christ. For Jesus hasn't come to condemn but to save. But here's the verdict. Here's the the conclusion. He said, light has come into the world in the person of God's son, Jesus Christ. Light has come into the world, but men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. And so there we have a snapshot, at least a summary statement of why it is that the world is such a difficult place and why it's so hard and why bad things happen to good people. And there's so much injustice in the world and insensitivity from one to the other. It's because we choose We choose poorly, we choose unwisely, and we suffer the consequences of that. And so the whole world is filled with this kind of rebellion against God. And sometimes bad things happen to good people, and and things happen that you don't even deserve. But watch what happened to Jesus. The most unfair, unjust thing that has ever happened on the planet is when they crucified the Son of God. He didn't deserve that. That was an injustice. It's a horrible thing. But you have to remember that Jesus Jesus wasn't floating through life. He didn't show up and just start floating above all of the pain and the suffering and the disappointment and the hunger and and all of the consequences of a sinful world. He lived in that. Don't you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night of his betrayal, when he sweat drops of blood and, and in agony asked the Father not to cause his own death? The the next day, Jesus hung on the cross and he prayed this prayer, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Why have you forsaken me, God? Why have you left me here? Why this? Why me? Why now? But you see, the great hope, if we'll step back and look at it just for a moment, just step back, we can see that Jesus now identifies with us. He gets it. You say, well, listen, I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm bitter. Why did God, why did God let my, my loved one die? Why did, why did God let my loved one get sick? Why did this tragedy happen to me and my family? Why, why, why is this going on in my life? I feel forsaken by God. And Jesus said, I can identify with that. 
We said, we'll start a forsaken support group. We can be in it together. What do you think went through Mary, the mother of Jesus' mind, when she's at the foot of the cross? And yeah, mother's in the room. You can't even get your mind around this. This is too horrible to even comprehend. But here's the mother of Jesus who was visited by archangels at the foot of the cross and the blood of her own son dripping down on the ground, suffering a horrible death. What's going through her mind? Can you imagine her whispering or even saying out loud, loud enough for others to, see, to hear? Is this what you meant? Is this what you meant, Lord, when you said, Hail, favored one? Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. For a son is given, a savior has been born. Is this what you meant? And so when we step back from that now, 2,000 years later, here's the perspective we have. While that was horrible and painful and, and embittering, what happens to us now is we, we celebrate this event. We call it a sacrament, a sacred act, where we take bread and we break it. And we said, everyone notice, this represents the body of Jesus Christ, which was broken broken for you and for me because by his stripes we have been healed and we take a cup of juice and we say this this represents the blood of Jesus Christ which was poured out for the remission of the sins of the world every sin you've ever committed every wrong you've ever done or thought every act that you've ever committed that separated and isolated you from God has been satisfied and covered over and redeemed because once and for all, the sacrifice Jesus has made has restored the relationship we have with God. And we say, thanks be to God, glory to God for this unspeakable gift. And the most unjust, unfair thing that ever happened on the planet now becomes the means of our salvation and we celebrate. Just about perspective. Everyone at the foot of the cross thought this is the end of something. The disciples were expecting an earthly kingdom for Jesus to take his place and to sit down on a throne and, and begin to rule and reign in Jerusalem. How disillusioned would they have been when they saw him take his last breath? It seemed like the end of something, but it wasn't. It was a new beginning of something more grand, more great, more rich. Because of God's amazing love and grace. Friends, where do you find yourself today? Where are you on the affliction scale, the disappointment scale? Now, back to the story at the bitter pond. Remember? Moses said, What are we going to do, Lord? We're thirsty. We're going to die of thirst if you don't give us water. And God said to Moses, take that piece of wood over there and throw it in the bitter water. And when he threw the, the wood into the bitter water, the waters became sweet. Now listen to me, friends, listen. That wouldn't be the last time God would use a piece of wood to make what is bitter sweet. Do you see it? This is a precursor, a prefigurement, if you will, of the cross. That God took something as plain as a piece of wood and upon it he placed his son 
to give his life as a satisfaction, the sweetener, if you will, for all the bitterness of the whole world. Now, can I summarize everything I've been saying? God hasn't promised to keep you from bad things. He's not promised to remove you from the world in which we live and all of the trials and pain and disappointments that come with it. That's not the promise. The promise is that in spite of living in a world that's full of disappointment, that if you place your trust and confidence and hope in God through Jesus Christ, He will see you through. And He'll make the bitter places in your life sweet once again. Now listen to me. I'm a 60-year-old man. I've, I've served Jesus Christ now for 44 years in my life. My wife and I have been through some stuff, just like you have. You live long enough and you're going to see just about everything life has to hand you. And we understand disappointment. We understand trial. We understand bitterness. We understand the why questions. We understand all of that. But here we are, and we're standing before you today, and we can give you a witness. And the witness is this. While there are lots of questions unanswered along the way, keeping your confident trust and hope in Jesus Christ will maintain the sweetness in your life. It will give you the hope you need to take the next step and to live in the assurance and, the assurance and hope that only God can provide. And so that's the invitation to you. That's what I offer you. Look to Jesus. Look to the one who can make everything crooked straight again, who will one day take everything bitter and make it sweet. He's the one who's promised to bring good out of all the disappointments in your life. So place your trust in him, and you won't be disappointed. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you for this powerful story. We are amazed. We are astounded by the work that you wish to do through these wonderful women, Ruth and Naomi. God, we identify with them. We identify with Naomi, her disappointment, her bitterness, her disillusionment, and yet we see you at work. So God, inspire us. Remind us that when the unfair world treats us badly, that you will treat us well. That when life administers the blow, God, you will administer the grace. And when life knocks me down, God, we thank you. You'll pick us up. And so thank you for your grace sufficient. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.